0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. In hey out Darren Bramer. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Depths. This week, we have a special guest, and it's Stefan Weinert. Did I get anywhere close?
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's Stefan, wie nett. It's, it's okay. wie nett.
0: Okay. Oh, my German is non-existent, so. I'm sure I have ancestors that would be chagrined by that. Anyway, uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know why you're famous and all that good stuff. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm famous? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, my name is Stefan Wienert. I'm from uh, Germany, Frankfurt am Main. Yeah, I'm just a regular full time Ruby on Rails developer working at the same company for like more than 10 years now. Always with Ruby on Rails started with, uh, with 2.3 actually and have ever been Yeah, and yeah, try to be a little public with some small gems and also yeah, in mm-hmm. stack workflows and all the stuff, writing blog articles, which is, I think, how you felt. Here.
0: Yep. Yeah. We ran across an article where you we were talking about some of the changes coming in Rails 7. And so, yeah, you know, we're, we're a little further down the road than we were in July last time we talked about it. It's always fun to kind of get another perspective on it, see what people are doing with it. And, uh, We were kind of noodling around before the show and it looks like they just released a release candidate on december 6th this december 9th as we record this so yeah kind of timely stuff as the leading digital platform for medical professionals doximity is transforming the healthcare industry founded in 2010 doximity's mission is to help physicians save time so that they can provide better care for patients they build secure and modern communication workflow and networking tools Over 1.8 million healthcare professionals, including over 80% of U.S. doctors, rely on Doximity in their day-to-day practice. Their tools are physician-first and patient-centered. Doximity is a remote-first, distributed team, and they take pride in the culture they've built. They recognize that the company is successful when people are successful. They've built a diverse team with an inclusive culture, and they're multicultural, multilingual, and international. Their diversity is their code, too. They build products with Ruby, Rails, Vue.js, and Golang. They'd like you to come join their mission to make every physician more productive so they can provide better care for their patients. Visit workat.doximity.com to see open physicians, employee interviews, and Doximity in the news. I'm a little curious as we dive in, though. I mean, you said that you have played with it a bit before the show. Uh, what exactly have you done with Rails 7? Like, how does it look?
1: First, we have like a smaller app, uh, which I just upgraded before to the beta. And mm-hmm. um, I use uh, encryption feature already in production. So I think it's quite, quite interesting and quite easy to migrate to. And the whole JavaScript stuff, like the whole new stuff around JS bundling, CSS bundling, import maps. It's also interesting. So I tried uh, around with it uh, recently, like after the blog post. So a couple of days ago, I yeah tried a test app and... Um, played around with it so yeah we can go into it if you want i can yeah my experiences yeah um first yeah i tried the import maps because they're already uh, default in the gem file if you create a new app the import maps are activated by default which is i think is an interesting choice the import maps are like uh, you're using you you can skip the whole uh, npm yarn stuff but still can use like react uh, or other libraries from 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 the internet, from NPM. It works like this that the browser can fetch directly from like a CDN, but you mm. can also download it and import maps help you manage all the stuff. You can pin specific versions. Like you say, I want, I don't know, React 14 and you can use the import maps command line utility to pin to a specific uh, version and it will download, for example, in production, it will download uh, the JavaScript before or in development, you directly uh, link to the CDN and it will use uh, a module um, the ES module system to make it all work in theory. <laughs> uh, I tried I tried it. Uh, I tried uh, using it with a uh, Vue.js and in this case, it didn't work for me, at least. There was some some error. So it maybe depends on which kind of libraries do you use. Mm-hmm. If I use another library, I think uh, with React, there was not this kind of issue. Maybe it also depends on the library, uh, which pulls maybe other libraries, other tem- dependencies, and then somewhere around, uh, along the line, there's like uh, some... Um, Library which accesses something, and you're in the problem space again. So I think, yeah, it's a new default. It maybe makes sense that you can start developing Rails without installing Node.js in some cases, like for the beginners. But I'm not so sure. Like if you if you're growing with your app, it makes sense to stick with import maps, in my opinion. For this use case, I think the JS bundling is more interesting. Uh, JS bundling is another package recently released uh, in the in the Rails. Yeah. GitHub group. And they, Mm -hmm. I think it's more or less a a big uh, generator where you can choose, like, I want to use the ES build wall up or webpack. Maybe later on, they will add another uh, bundler, but this is a Mm three bundler they ship now. And you can choose, okay, I want to use ES build. You run the generator. It generates a lot of stuff. Like in this time already, uh, again, it will use a yarn or npm, depend on your system, install the necessary packages and create uh, like a bin. Slash Dev tool mm-hmm. for you, which uh, you can later run. Which under the hood just uses Foreman to start up your server and your maybe yeah this this tool. Yeah, and then if you use ES Build, which is like a very fast bundler, which does not do a lot of things but is very fast. Um, I think it was developed by the CEO of Figma. I think I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure, but and then compared to like Webpack, is much faster and does not use any like dependencies. It's like very easy to install and run. So I think this is great also for beginners. Like, well, yeah, even for bigger apps, the compile speed is a big, a huge advantage. Yeah. So I think this is the JS bundling, but it's, of course, this is only JS bundling. If ES build does not care about uh, CSS so much. So we want to have uh, like uh, some CSS some bootstrap, some tailwind, then you need the CSS bundling gem, which is also now a new. Official gem, I think it's not in the gem file by default, but you can add it. And then this model is the same like JS bundling. You have to choose like like a framework you use like Bootstrap or Tailwind. You run a generator. It installs a lot of stuff. It's uh, For example, in Tailwind's case, it puts Tailwind to the JSON, And then also it appends to the bin slash dev to the Foreman script. So you can run all the three. Yeah, there's a server, there's a ES build and the Tailwind tool at the same time without caring too much. So there's almost no layer between anymore. So you don't have a Webpacker layer between like your Rails and the JavaScript world. You have to Mm -hmm. directly use the tools, but the JS bundling and CSS bundling stuff, they help you to install it and maybe wrap it with a very thin layer.
0: That makes sense. I have to say that the Webpacker layer in between Webpack and Rails has kind of... like Sometimes it's like, wow, this is so convenient. And then sometimes it's like, this is a giant headache. And usually when it becomes a giant headache it's because it's okay well how do i do this with webpacker because yeah some of the config between the one and the other is different and so i can't just go look how do i do this with webpack i have to go look at how do i do this with webpacker and the answer may not be there and so then i go look at how do i do it with webpack and they'll have an answer there for me and then i have to kind of go and figure out okay that lives over here with Webpacker and I have to tweak this and this and then it'll start to work. But sometimes it's not straightforward as to how to take the stack overflow for Webpack and apply it to Webpacker. And so I wind up killing a bunch of time. So I'm liking the idea of just saying, hey, pick your bundler. We're going to hook it in so that it runs automatically, which is what I want, right? I want it to hot reload and all that fun stuff that I'm assuming that ES build does for me and Foreman kind of spins that all together and Rails knows how to, hey, I'm getting another request. I need to make sure my bundle's up to date. And then the rest of it is, and just use Webpack to build it or just use Rollup to build it. Mm, yeah. And then, yeah, I'm loving the idea too, that I could just go on Stack Overflow and it says, just do this. And I'll be like, okay, just to give an example of this. So the other day I was working on a project and I bought a theme off of ThemeForest And it's a fairly popular admin layout. I had used the older version of it before. It's called Metronic. And I'd gotten it to mostly work in a previous app, but I wanted Metronic 8 because it uses Webpack and stuff and I don't have to go fuss with a gulp file. But it was, you know, I was getting weird errors every time I tried to add a new piece in. And so, yeah, they have a Webpack build that you can just run, but it it just didn't play nice with Rails. So anyway, this is making me very excited.
2: So Stefan, before we came on here, I also noticed you had mentioned uh, sprockets is kind of going away.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is the, the last piece uh, is a prop shaft. It's also a new project in the GitHub organization of, of Rails. This is like sprockets minus transpiling, like it's all the things for sprockets, like copying stuff to public assets and attaching like the the the, the hash. Uh, but it does not transpire anything. There's no SAS, There's no uh, like CoffeeScript or anything. So Propshaft, you can add Propshaft to and remove sprockets, and then you still can use like image tag and uh, the, the asset helpers. But yeah, you get rid of the, all the transpiling. So they say the source code is also much easier and uh, it's the way forward. I'll
2: bet. Do you know offhand if they will, will use like Digest cache keys for the
1: assets? Uh, yes, I think they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like this, all the Works stuff,
2: all the same. Hmm? That's great.
1: More or less. Even I think there's the a path, the, all the, the, you don't have to change the names, the effort path, image tag, all the, the helpers are still the same. So I, I didn't try it. I don't, I don't know where the limits is. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see if it's just a drop in replacement or there's some other parts which is missing. But also interesting, uh, because Sprockets, I don't know if you ever upgraded to the Sprockets 4. It's, <laughs> it's painful. It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Even like the, uh, if you have like Ugly Fire still in your production RV, I think all of you have ever heard about the Harmony mode or something. <laughs> so you're yeah, always in for fun. I think it's it's great to to get rid of the Ruby stuff, which cares about JavaScript so much. And yeah, I agree. To the JavaScript.
2: I think the number one issue deploying Rails to Heroku, which is supposed to be the easiest thing you could possibly do to deploy a Rails app, is always assets. I always see a Stack Overflow question or somebody you know, opening up an issue like, hey, I can't get this to deploy to Heroku because <laughs> some weird asset issue <laughs> yeah. precompiling, which maybe won't go away with a lot of these tools, but I know it's a pain point specifically with Sprockets. Yeah, one. In the past.
0: One other thing with that is, I feel like Webpacker kind of took us down that road a little bit, where you had Ruby managing the JavaScript stuff. But then it was okay. Do I image pack tag this or just image tag this? Or yeah, and it eliminates a lot of that too. Um, I think I saw something in there that was saying that they were eliminating the requirement for Node in some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, if you don't use JS bundling and you only use, use import maps and uh, maybe prop shafts, then you don't need. Uh node installed you can run like uh, rails with a little mm-hmm. yeah and you can use in some capacity you can use like uh, the ecosystem of javascript if the yeah these model module stuff works for you
0: gotcha because going back to what valentino was saying about assets that's another thing that i've seen with some of the heroku or heroku like deploys is yeah one of the hangups is is well, sorry, but you have the wrong version of Node or the wrong version of Yarn, right? And so it just kind of goes, and so I quit. And, you, you know, it's like, well, what the heck? So, Stefan, just revisiting your article here,
2: and I'm really, ex- I don't know about you, but I'm really excited for all these Active Record updates. Yes. The API for it is definitely getting some huge must-needed improvements. Do you want to just kind of walk us through what was your, your favorites of it and kind of some of those highlights?
1: Yeah, I, I, I read about like the, the, the encryption stuff. We already, maybe we can, I don't know. You want to go into this again? Attribute encryptor, but I think sure
0: we can do it for a minute. Okay. Like it's been a while. So
1: I think it's also a very great feature because it's quite easy to use. So you just uh, can like mark specific columns as encrypted and then Rails will automatically, like active record will automatically encrypt and decrypt the column when you save or when you read from the database. When you're in the Red console, you never see anything. Everything just works. Every time you access, like the the email from the user, it's just you can see it. But in the database, if you look into the database with uh, with an SQL tool or you see the queries, you see there's like some encryption going on. So the, for you for, as a developer, the encryption is, is transparent. You don't have to care so much about. One can argue. I, I, in the in the last episode, you also argue about if if it's useful at all. Like what's the use of an of encryption, if I can access it, if, if if the attacker gets access to the console, so he can or she can already see all the the emails or anything. But I I say there's still a lot of value for encryption. Like the default thing is encrypted, so every time you access like the database, for example, the database maybe it's on a different host. It's encrypted at rest. Or for example, if you make SQL backups, yeah, which you should do, then the backups is like the. You can encrypt the backup too, but at least inside, if you if you forget to encrypt it or whatever, uh, it's it's also encrypted all the important stuff. So I think it's wow. a very good feature. It's uh, we migrated just over it. You just have to check if the length of the column is enough because it will store like a JSON-like encryption vector inside it, and then you can uh, also configure it to um, to to migrate So it will check, oh, this it's unencrypted. If I save it, I will encrypt it. So half your users could have unencrypted emails and the other one could have already encrypted ones so you can migrate over it step by step. So I think it's really well made. Yeah. One uh, other thing
0: I want to just bring up on this is that, you know, you mentioned it's only encrypted at rest, but it seems like a lot of the breaches that have happened lately are database engine breaches, not application breaches.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's a ton of value in this. I mean, think about... I know from what you've described, Stefan, and and looking at this, it makes it really pretty easy. And think about projects where you've started and there's a requirement at the beginning, you know, for encryption at rest, you know, that type of security. And oftentimes it probably isn't needed, but sometimes it is. And I remember just thinking at the beginning, like just like kind of like oh goodness like you know having to deal with this and this just makes it really really easy there's always going to be those points of vulnerability really no the only way to truly secure a system is just to unplug it from the network right <laughs> but then you don't have a very useful system so <laughs> i think what chuck said is is spot on and i'm really excited about this one
1: yeah me too as i already said we're already using it uh, also, because I'm very eager to another gem, which they released. I think it's on the in the Basecamp uh, organization. It's the Console 1984. Yeah, do you saw this? Uh, I'm really looking are...
2: forward to this. Yeah, I so, started uh, an initiative at, at Doximity to, to take it on eventually. But you know, it which, requires which one is it? 7. The Console 1984, it locks down the Rails console a little bit more. So you, you kind of have to declare ahead of time what you're plan to be doing in the console in production. And then it has some restrictions that it it does to ask you questions as if you do decide to decrypt stuff <laughs> from the console. And I think it may even not allow that in some
1: cases. Mm. It just it
2: disables a bunch.
1: There's like two gems. Uh, the console 1984 and all, I think audit 1984, which you can install both and configure both from Basecamp. And they use it to lock down their um, production console. So they have like uh, some engineers which can like we all maybe do, like do a Rails production console, which is I think is one of the awesome features of, of Ruby on Rails. Yeah, to have a uh, live access to the database and can look around. But of course, you're so powerful. You can like do a lot of things there. Yeah, and maybe not every engineer, or maybe you don't trust everybody to to make the right thing, or maybe you have some requirements to have an audit log of everything that happens there. So these two gems can help you. They um, also play together with the encryption. So mm. when you start the gem or like like you co- connect the console, then maybe you can like also like have to authenticate or something yeah mm-hmm. and then it will start like an audit with the audit so um you can have everything you type will be like saved for later <laughs> and and it will automatically uh, encry- uh, de- decrypt the, the attribute encrypted stuff for you otherwise it's still it's still invisible for you like if you don't activate the feature and just looking around so it has like two modes you have to like like you can look around pick, um, but you cannot see like all the public that is a piis yeah so this so is the data so you have to start the audit and then everything gets recorded which you do but then you can access the, the real customer data i gotcha
0: so you have kind of an audited god mode
1: yeah i think it's, it's great because i think it's one of the really, really cool features there's so many i think all of you have like the <laughs> kind of like some problems or some oh like like some colleague or boss ask you can you give me some some info from the production, how many users, do this, is this, 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 or something. Yeah, you just can hop in. You can give the answer right away. You can, like, fix bugs right away, which you have data. Uh-huh. I think it's great. But it's, of course, very pow- uh, very dangerous and powerful. <laughs> so it's great they're, they're having this kind of gem, which I'm really looking forward to try out for one of our apps. Yeah, I really cool. like
2: having a, a centralized place for encryption in general. Uh, I'd love to have it in Ruby. But, you know, having it in Rails, it, just to be able to say, hey, throw something at this and encrypt it and be able to customize how that encryption gets handled is pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. Let's also maybe talk about the load async feature. I think it's also very exciting. I'm um, also, as a load async, you can like maybe you have a controller actually with loads a lot of stuff sequentially. Like you maybe load a lot of users, but you also load a lot of posts and maybe it's all on a big dashboard. So we have like, I don't know, like, 2000 pieces and in the like what we're doing now is like maybe you load first the users and then and it will block so and load async is a feature where you can like like it's at the end of a statement like i don't know like user.all you can say user.all load async and uh, the line will execute in the background like the rails will start a thread i think or you can configure it mm-hmm. and then we will pick up and try to load uh, the the relationship in the background And later, if it reaches the view and you start uh, accessing like with each or first or whatever, then it will wait until the thread is finished. So this, the advantage is like, if you have like a lot of like posts or users uh, below each other, they can all load at the same time. So in theory, you maybe even get like a big speed up, like depend on, of course, your, your controller action, what, what stuff you load. I'm also looking forward to try this out. Maybe you, everybody, like you know, uh, yeah, all of you, maybe know one or two pages in the app where like there's a lot of things going on. Maybe some admin dashboard or mm-hmm. some CSV export. I don't know. Like there's a lot of stuff, and maybe this can help for speeding up. But of course, I think this you have to try out first uh, because uh, you need a thread pool. And as you mentioned, like Heroku and stuff. If you already use Sidekick or Puma, you have to uh, like think about uh, how the thread like is there enough workers left or is the RAM is enough or whatever.
2: This is one That's of those features where I'm simultaneously excited and terrified. For <laughs> <laughs> like, I just imagine, you know, M plus ones are so common, where you have yeah, you you, <laughs> you you go and you iterate through every user, and then every user you're grabbing all the comments on it, and it just snowballs. And next thing you know, you're you got 200 queries on a single page. It's a pretty common problem, right? And to to think about those in threads <laughs> and knowing the underlying thread limits of, of most servers at this point. I don't know. I see some some hard-to-solve problems coming up.
3: With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep.
2: I don't know. I'm hopeful, though, because I've been looking forward to... I, I know I've done... I, I've used... Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it now, but uh, there's gems out there that let you do async HTTP requests if you're trying to bundle a bunch at once. But doing it in a place where it's so common, where you have a lot of things that you want resolved eventually, like in a short amount of time, I don't know. (laughs) I worry.
0: (laughs) I don't know how you guys feel. Seems like it's an area of trade-off, right? You just have to be aware of what you're doing, what you're grabbing, why you're grabbing it, how it's going to get loaded, in some cases fiddle with it, and then, yeah, get an idea of what you're doing with it.
1: I don't think it's like a magic bullet to kill all the performance things, like everything, but maybe it's another thing in the tool build, which you can, like, maybe you have this kind of specific use case. Mm -hmm. I don't think it helps for N plus one, but maybe like a huge queries, which blocks each other. Like uh, maybe in this case it can help, but of course you should measure it before because even maybe, maybe you maybe get slower (laughs) Yeah, because all this red stuff is also not for free.
2: Yeah. And speaking of measuring, I I did see, Rails from your article is is kind of pushing a benchmark measure feature from the the Rails module top level module itself, right?
1: Yeah, you have like the top level method Rails dot benchmark, uh, which takes like an like a label, like a string, which you can see what's going on, and then takes a block, and in the block, uh, yeah, you could do some stuff, and then you will get a result in the end. Like I think you can leave this in your system and like keep measuring. So Um, er everybody wrap
2: your load asyncs in a benchmark (laughs) tag and and start (laughs) reporting what you're getting, you know?
0: Well, if it's an area of concern for you, you can definitely do that, right?
3: Yeah, that's pretty neat. I mean, it is a really powerful capability to have, and there are a good number of use cases that would benefit from this. I think you can't get away from the fact, though, like you have to go start with the application design. Like, is this work that I can do in parallel? And what are the ramifications of that? And then you can't you can't get away from that then to the extent that the framework can help you make the the underlying thread management easy then you know that that's great but you still have to deal with that overarching design
0: sorry what did you say i was canceling my new relic account
3: (laughs) 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 maybe hold off just a minute
2: Oh, 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 oh.
3: oh i didn't hit the last red button okay yeah, yeah, wait, the, the last one where they offer you like 50% off, like know, go right? ahead and just take take the 50% off. I hadn't used New Relic until recently. Man, that, that's a pretty impressive tool. It um, is. It's um, really, it gives you so much out of the box and very, very helpful. Well, yeah, I, I just
0: remember back in the day when they were pretty much free or super cheap to use on Rails apps and stuff, you know, right, when they first got started. And then they went all the way to enterprise and it was like, yeah, well, I want to keep both my kidneys, so I'm not going to pay for this. And then they've kind of come back around and you can get a free account again and use a lot of really powerful features on your app before you start paying for it. So I'm a fan. I was not a fan for a while because I was just like, you guys have left us in the dust. But I think they figured it out and realized that there are a lot of folks out here who need a tool like it and are are willing to pay for it. They're just not willing to pay what the enterprise is willing to pay for it.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a Obviously, a ton of money in the enterprise market and, you know, all of that ends up being negotiated deals and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. The market, the market's a lot bigger than that. And they're wise to do that. Um, Yeah.
0: Great product. They were the first sponsor of Ruby Rogues.
3: So, Oh, nice. Yeah, I
0: I have feels for them anyway.
3: (laughs) Gotcha. Nice. Hey, can we go, can we go back to, I'm a little slow, forgive me. So at the beginning we were talking about the different front end options, and it is you know with the JavaScript bundling and and I'll be honest, I actually really try to avoid all that stuff as much as possible. Like my goal, my goal is to stay in Ruby as long as I possibly can until it's no longer like humanly possible to do.
0: I don't know any so other Rubyists love- that
3: feel that way. By the way, it's just you. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm, I'm on an island here. I know, right? <laughs> so reality sets in, and there's existing. Assets, frameworks, all kinds of considerations, but I love, I love that Hotwire is is, is baked in, and mm-hmm. it gives me a, a a path to try to stay in that Ruby world yeah. longer. And in some, in a lot of cases, maybe I can just stay there. It did occur to me though a minute ago, Chuck, you're talking about, and I've done this too, right? I've grabbed a theme off of some site that I wanted to use. So it, I don't know how that kind of stuff works like and and maybe you all have done more with this than i have but if i'm if i'm in my ruby world how could I, how could i combine that with getting those nice look and feel i want with my site like i'm not i don't know if, if it uh, messes up that but i was just curious stefan did you dig into that aspect of uh Seven or, or in, in any of your yeah work
1: uh, as the, the turbo and uh, hotwire you mean this this call yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I think it was released in the beginning of the year when it was released I immediately tried it out <laughs> so but I'm never I'll never I only played with it like maybe a couple of hours I never brought this to production I think it might be interesting if you start from the beginning like with the with the app like if you start building your app mm-hmm. with it. In mind, mm-hmm. I had some problems here and there with like the form doesn't work anymore, and here the JavaScript didn't work anymore. So I had to had to do some work with the existing app to to make it ready for the for the Turbo. So I decided to not do this, but of course it's like yeah, in theory, you just drop in the Turbo and the uh, Hotwire, and you will get uh, like different kind of things. Like one is the like the Turbo Drive, which is more or less I think the old Turbo Turbo Links. Which means like yeah, every time you click on a link or, or you submit a form, which is new, it would get, it's not like make a new HTTP request with the browser, like a full one, but a background, I not not a background, like a fetch, like before, like yeah. the X, XHR before, but now it's a fetch, like with a fetch request in the background. And it will, yeah, it, it feels much faster. Uh, even, even if you measure it, it's much, far, it's usually much faster than like a full page reload. So yeah, this is a turbo drive. The other one is a turbo streams. Like you can, I think you can use the things together or independently. Like for example, I tried only using Turbo Drive. It also can work. Like with Turbo Streams, uh, you can trigger front end updates from Rails. It's more or less. I for my expectation, I think it's the same. Like we had in I don't know Rails three or so, <laughs> with the. Uh, do you remember, like, the prototype JS? Yes? I, don't, I don't know if any mm-hmm. of you... Oh, the they good can, old days, like, yeah. You can say, highlight this one, or remove this one, or add this one. I th- in, in Ruby, I think it's more or less, like, inspired or, like, similar to this one, where you, like, in the Rails controller, for example, you can say, okay, dear JavaScript, please remove the element with the DOM ID of my post and add a new one with the same ID or replace mm-hmm. it, for example. And right. then, yeah.
0: Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software and our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial.
3: It it seems like most use cases would require that level, the stream's level of flexibility rather than the whole page, I think, which Turbo Drive, if I remember the terminology correct, like you're saying. But yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some trade-offs, but it's, I guess, you know, we live in the real world. We have existing apps many much of the time. So is it a good approach to, if I need to build a new subsystem or set of pages, or is that an opportunity for me to start incrementally moving, shifting over to that approach, or is it hard to mix and match the, the different alternatives?
1: Good question. If you start out with an app, it's easier.
3: I guess the bigger, maybe the bigger question I'm getting is for these different front end alternatives. Do I choose? Am I making that choice at the application level or at a more fine grained? I think with Turbo, you have to do
1: it. You have to go all in, in my opinion, because Turbo, Turbo will take over all the links by default. You have to explicitly say no, no, no. Don't take over this one. Let's go to another page. (laughs) <laughs> like so you have to 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 uh, like, <laughs> otherwise it would take over the whole app. I think it's expected to take over the whole app. Um, this is the way it works best, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. Which is probably reasonable. Yeah, reasonable assumption. Yeah,
0: I just I have giant heart eyes for stimulus. I, I love stimulus turbo. I just kind of let Rails turn it on <laughs> and do its thing. <laughs> um, I haven't really fussed with it much, so. You know, I'm I'm pretty happy with that part of the stack. I do like that it's uh, default, and I think Stimulus is lightweight enough to where even if you had a theme or something that was built on Vue or React, I'm sure you can get into weird states, right? Because they both are manipulating the DOM, but Stimulus is pretty straightforward on a lot of this stuff, and I'm I'm kind of imagining that that's pretty nice. I do have to say that, and and I don't think that ES Build or Any of the approaches that we've talked about so far really solve this. Usually, if I'm pulling in a theme, a third-party theme from somebody else, and I'm trying to build it into my Rails app, usually where I get hung up is on older libraries that they're pulling in to give it a certain kind of functionality that aren't yet baked into an ES module, right? And so I have to figure out whether to require it, import it, Mm -hmm. and then whatever it's setting up or defining or whatever, how do I get that into the right JavaScript variables so that the whatever I include after it can find it? Do I expose it through webpack or stuff like that? And I just I don't see that ES build or any of these other approaches really change that a whole lot because at the end of the day, you're going to have the same build issue. So you may be able to tie in and you know, if it has a gulp file or a grunt file or something like that, you can you know, you can talk it into running it or something and then try and figure it out that way which is an approach I've taken, but it just, it gets ugly real fast. One thing I did figure out though, is that there are, so I fought this theme for like three or four days. And then I was looking on a stack overflow on how to get, you know, one of the issues I was running into fixed. And it said, why didn't you just buy a theme like this one, this one, or this one that do the same things that are built for rails. And I'm going, oh, that's, 30 bucks. I'll, <laughs> I'll do that, right? And so I ditched yeah. the old thing. But that said, I mean, sometimes they kind of have the perfect thing for
3: you. So, I don't know. Isn't that the worst feeling? Like you just plunk down a I little know. bit of chain? I mean, yeah, it's sure, it's like 30, 40 bucks, but now you're on day three of trying to get this thing Yeah, to work and, and there's
0: like, no ah. end in sight. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yep, yeah, so. That's when it's time to run over to uh, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, get a coffee and rethink your life. I know, right? <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: The t- on the topic of Hotwire, I don't know if anybody else has seen the, uh, the Reddit post for, uh, the time is right for Hotwire.
1: Yeah. Uh
2: But the, the comments are quite lively. And namely, there's been some great content from Samuel Williams with his version of this live Dom updates that he's been working on with Falcon and Livewire, which I, I'm just learning about now, but definitely I'll leave a link in the show notes, but it, it looks, there's a, it's a pretty great read through the comments section of this. Uh, if you're interested in Hotwire and, you know, all this live Dom stuff,
3: definitely check it out. Yeah. That would be a good pick. I'll let, <laughs> you take that one because that is a, that is a good discussion. Yep.
0: So I did notice that they had a, uh, they had some kind of setup for some, like posting notes to queries and things like that, which I thought was real nice. It's like, oh, I can see now where this is getting called from. You know, Just, just there, there's like a whole bunch of just really convenient stuff that I saw was coming through. I can't remember what that gem was called.
1: You mean the mar- mar- marginalia? Yeah, like um, just adding I that think.
0: to the query logs.
1: Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's adding you to the SQL query log somehow. Yeah. I, I didn't also didn't uh, use it until now. But
0: I mean, anything that helps me figure out what in the crap is going on is nice, right? Maybe this helps... I mean, uh,
1: reducing your bill for a new relic. so you can do parts of new relic yourself which you annotate your query and later <laughs> maybe you can see something is taking too long and you can figure out oh cool it's, it's come from from this place
0: <laughs> yeah but darren told me not to cancel go- yet so <laughs>
3: <laughs> well now you can go from the one million dollar license to the 500k and then you're oh there we <laughs> go the
0: one the one kidney price the, instead of an arm and a leg yeah. it's just a leg
3: Sorry, I'm not actually really trying to throw shade on New Relic because I actually really like it. <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, we can, we
0: can make fun of them, but yeah,
2: Rails instrumentation <laughs> is is really great. Yeah, that you know, if you wanted, you could build uh, an APM pretty easily. I think there's plenty of blog articles out there on it. Yeah, I like but the to be perfectly honest.
0: There are a lot of them out there that aren't that expensive. Right. Yeah.
2: And plus, do you want to use your own hack together solution in production?
0: Yes,
3: <laughs> power to the people. <laughs> yeah, that those kind of things often start out with like all engineers are like way overly optimistic, right? Like yeah, like well, instead of paying for this, like we could build it to ourselves. It won't be that hard. <laughs> and yeah, then then six months later, when you're feeling the operational pain, <laughs> yeah, you do that. You you generally do that like once in your career, maybe maybe if you're me, like twice. And then you kind of like give those a second look.
0: Yeah. My rule of thumb is once you start getting into part-time salary territory so
3: for the cost,
0: <laughs> then then start thinking about whether or not you want to roll your own. Until then, just just pay whatever they're asking. It, it's That's a good rule of it's thumb. It's less headache. It, it'll save you money. It'll save you time. Why endure the pain?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. Time is the most precious uh, resource yep. that we have, right? So, yeah.
0: Yep. So what else is in here? I mean, I'm sure they're pushing updates to all kinds of stuff. I mean, we kind of, kind of talked through some of the active record stuff.
1: Yeah, there's really a bunch of stuff. There's also like like the, like a uh, stuff to added to, to relation, active record relation, where you can, like I think last time, also in July, you already discussed the missing as, as in word where, in word where, where you can have like a where, and then you can invert the whole thing, which might or might be not yeah. cool <laughs> depend on but i think another things uh, is like you can easily ask if there's a missing relationship like for example you give me all the posts where there's no attached user like uh, post where dot missing and then argument user yeah this was one
2: of the 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 big features that i was looking forward to is finding missing associations on records very easily
1: and and they added another one is inverted it's like a relation dot where dot associated so you can get give me all which have a user so you can like have the, yeah, don't have to type it all every time yourself. It was a,
2: I always have yeah. to look that one up. <laughs> now I probably won't. <laughs> yep.
1: Another thing is like excluding. You have like relation.excluding. Uh, so for example, uh, imagine you are the post and you want to have a similar post to myself, to so this post, post itself. You say, inside the post model, you can say like um, post.where uh, texts are similar like me, dot excluding self. Yeah, you can easily... Right remove myself from the yeah from the set. So it's quite a handy, yeah, convenient method, I think, which you all once or twice uh, have to type ourselves, yeah. I think this in at least in my post I didn't have too much other things which are yeah. I don't know for the active record.
0: Yeah, I will say one thing that I'm kind of excited about if we're done talking about active record is the active storage stuff. I mean Some of this stuff's a giant pain in the rear. I also noticed that there was like FFMPEG stuff in here, which is super handy. And I've been, a lot of the side projects that I have relate to audio and video. No shock to anybody, right? You run a podcast network, you're kind of playing in that arena. And so, yeah, the FFMPEG args and duration of bitrate for the audio analyzer and just stuff like that was, I was just like,
1: sweet. So. I really like the variants because I yeah I don't know how do how do you do it like uh, usually like you define like uh, the image you like like 300 pixel wide or something in the view or uh, mm-hmm. sp- uh, sp- uh, around all the app yeah and you're not quite sure <laughs> what kind of variants you have in your app and maybe you like the one is 300 and 200 and 250 and maybe you do some like uh, grayscale or monochrome mm-hmm. or something and now they have like a convenient block which you can pass to has one attached. And then you can define uh, predefined variants. It's more or less like the old, good old paperclip. Like then you can uh, say user dot avatar variant uh, thumb or large mm. or whatever, and then you can reference the, 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 yeah, the central centralized uh, variants. I, I think it's okay because I I don't know how do it, do it, but before I have like a user model, I have a logo medium method which like just produces a variant I use. All around the app, so I don't always have to think about which kind of size I want to use now. So yeah, I think it's quite convenient to have it there.
0: Yeah, that's to me that's convenient in the sense that uh, yeah, you can stick this in instead of fussing with your uh, because like Carrier Wave is the same thing, right? Carrier Wave or paperclip. You had a separate uploader file that did all this stuff, and now you just you know you just put it in line and in your definition for your model.
1: Yeah, important to note is maybe that uh, Vips is now the default uh, processor for um, from image. It's not image magic anymore. I think when you are upgrading, it will still be the same, but a new app. Maybe you have to install the lib vIPS package mm-hmm. in your system. So otherwise, maybe the variants. will us them error. Yeah.
0: Have you tried upgrading an app from six to seven?
1: Yeah, like a smaller app, which is like, uh, mm-hmm. which not uh, RC1 is still the beater, the last one. Maybe next week I will upgrade it to RC1. Mm-hmm. The other apps are still on six one six zero. Looking forward to it. Is it <laughs> upgrading it? Is
0: it pretty straightforward? Because like I'm in the middle of doing an app upgrade right now for for a client. And... I think if you
1: yeah if, if you already like six six zero six one then why why don't go the last step? I think the biggest hurdle is is Zeitwerk or Zeitwerk yeah a German say right. Zeitwerk because it's a company for watches and Zeitwerk upgrade which bite us because maybe you have some some files in the app directory which are not exactly like the folder structure. Like maybe imagine mentioned mm-hmm. like one file with like three or four classes inside. It it's not allowed anymore with sidewerk So okay. we have to like prepare your app for sidewerk If if your app is prepared, I think there's also check. You can use the Rails six one and then there's a site check command, Rails sidewerk check. And then we will eager load your app and try if it works or not. I think this is the biggest biggest hurdle. Depend on the size of your models and how many models. And if you always use the right module, then otherwise it will throw an error. Otherwise, go for it. Yeah, it just works. There's not too much breaking stuff, at least for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that what you're talking about there too with Zitework, it looks like they uh, don't turn Spring Boot on by default. And I swear, like half of the errors that I run into on an app that is fairly well factored, yeah. I'll stop my Rails server, I'll go find Spring Boot and beat it to death with a fire iron, and then I'll come back and turn it back on and it'll work. And so I was super happy to see that that's not running by default anymore, because golly, that thing is such a pain in the butt. And it sounds like Zitework and some of these other things have just made it fast enough to load up and run without it. Anything else we want to jump on here? We've been going for about 50 minutes, so we could go to Pix as well if we want.
2: I'm looking forward to Action Mailbox. I don't know if anybody else has played with it. I made a small app the other day to receive emails with it and it, it works really, really well. So what does it do? Just stands uh, up an SMTP server for you? Not exactly that. I don't really know how it works behind the scenes. I just know it lets you intercept SMTP requests. Oh. Like on a, on an HTTP front. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of so like MailCatcher? Kind of like MailCatcher. I think it... You you configure it with third-party services mm-hmm. like SendGrid or something like that as your ingress, and then it just handles
0: the API oh, for okay. them. So instead of setting up like a Gmail account that it goes and checks periodically if you do something that does some kind of email reply, it'll just come into the app. Yeah, so is that what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean it can work with just like postfix or something like that, but yeah, it's it's pretty much like the middle a middle app. For handling oh, okay. those specific re- it's a relay. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really cool. I don't know. I I made a, a small app that just I could forward emails.